0: I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leading Out of the Woods, a part of the
1: Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back, Steve here, and today I'm talking with Stephen Furlich. He is an associate professor at Texas A&M University, where he teaches communication classes. He is also the author of an amazing book. It's called Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. What a powerful book. You are going to want to read his book and listen to him over and over again. So much to learn. And we get into all kinds of stuff about, you know, how uh, men and women don't really understand how to talk with each other. You're going to like this. It's good stuff. Thanks for listening. Uh, by, by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you would go um, talk to your friend, your neighbor, your uh, colleague, and say, Hey, have you ever listened to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12? Hmm? Well, if you haven't, here's where you find it, and uh, you should listen to it now. So uh, encourage your friends, your colleagues, your your family members to to take a listen. It'd be cool if you did that. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show.
0: You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12 podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show.
1: Dr. Stephen Furlich is the author of a breakthrough book, Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. He has taught and researched communication at the university level for over 20 years. He has taught a variety of communication courses with the main focus of better understanding oneself and others. Often his research projects and the courses that he taught complemented each other and led into innovative directions. Dr. Furlich has been an associate professor at Texas A&M University since 2018 and served as an assistant professor there for five years prior to that. He has presented at many conferences, including DFW Metroplex Linguistics Conference, Society for Information Technology and Teacher Education Conference, e-learning conference, National Communication Association Conference, Southern States Communication Association Conference, International Academy of Business and Public Administration dis- Disciplines and International Conference of the American Pragmatics Association. Dr. Furlich, who was recently interviewed by One America News Network, has been published in numerous journals, including Texas Speech Communication Journal, Kentucky Journal of Communication, the Florida Communication Journal, Journal of Applied Communication Research, Academic Exchange Quarterly, Journal of Integrated Social Sciences, and Journal of the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. His communication paradigm is from a receiver perspective this places the emphasis on the listener to better understand from the speaker's perspectives and as a speaker emphasizing understanding from the listener's perspectives both of these become more challenging as differences increase between the speaker and listener dr Furlich has become fascinated with technological advancements in science that have enabled a better understanding of communication without these scientific advances understanding communication is quite limited This line of research has inspired him to write this book to bring together many different scientific studies to better understand the role of biology with gender communication differences. He earned a doctor of philosophy in higher education, a master of arts in communication studies, and a bachelor of arts in psychology from Texas Tech University. He resides in Commerce, Texas. Stephen, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, thanks for having me glad you're here. And, uh, this is, this is too cool. And, uh, just as a note, uh, I'm in Georgia, it's very hot here and, uh, and a human, I can imagine in Texas, that's that you're a little warm as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. We've been having a streak of over a hundred degrees for weeks
1: now. Wow. Wow. The, uh, that's something else. So, uh, good stuff. And, uh, well, very cool. You got a lot going on here and your book's awesome. And, uh, it also helps me uh, understand why, you know, sometimes you got to suck it up and realize that you may not understand what point of view the other person's coming from, <laughs> which I think is cool. So, um, you know, before we talk about what is inside your book, Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages, could you tell the audience how you became interested in study- studying communication? So one of the things that from an early age I've always been interested
0: in is social behaviors and trying to understand more of the interpersonal uh, behaviors and communication of other people. So I decided to major as a psychology major for my undergraduate. And as I started to proceed through my courses, especially the upper level ones in psychology, there were some things that I found applicable with social behaviors and understanding and communication, but uh, more overwhelmingly of the research and the topics that were covered, were trying to diagnose other people and more of the severe disorders. So, um, I had a major of psychology and I needed a minor and I started flipping through the catalog to see what would be a minor. I think communication studies jumped out at me with some of the different courses that I found really interesting, such as gender communication, nonverbal communication, interpersonal communication. So I made that my minor and then I talked to one of my professors in communication studies and... Um, Talked to him about what my career interests are, and then he encouraged me to apply to the master's program in communication studies. And then they offered me a teaching assistantship as a graduate student, and I enjoyed that and doing the research. So then I thought, well, I might as well just keep
1: doing this. Very cool. So I got to ask this question because something you just said made me think about this. Um, so who, what are the um, the students that take your courses? I mean, do they have a do they tend to be a, from a particular major or like, I mean, Texas, you're at Texas A&M, right? Right. And of their satellite campuses. Yeah. Gotcha. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's also known for, uh, on its major one, there was a college station where, it, uh, they have the military part of it. The, the, R- right. the RTC group, I mean, maybe you have some cadets taking it and stuff like this. I mean, who, who, who are those students that primarily make up your uh, courses?
0: Our discipline itself tends to be diverse. With the topics that it covers. So, we tend to cover uh, topics that other disciplines address, but we do it from a communication uh, approach and perspective. So, maybe something that business or psychology or um, history or other areas address, but we do it from a communication um, approach. So, therefore, we tend to have a diversity of students especially for entry entry level types of courses and even with our advanced ones that capture students types of attention so it could be a variety of whatever career choice that you want to go into that you just want to uh, find out more about or learn more about communication whereas with our majors um, they tend to go into uh, those types of careers that focus in on the interpersonal part of communication such as sales such as real estate sales, both uh, commercial and residential, and then also healthcare sales. So healthcare sales with um, hospitals and healthcare providers, pharmaceutical sales. And then we're also starting to branch out into uh, other areas of communication, such as debate, for those who want to go into more of law politics and ministry. So all these different careers that have a central theme of communication and often uh, a persuasion element to it, where you need to understand the audience, to persuade them either in sales or law or politics or ministry or whatever else. Therefore, you need to understand their perspectives, their worldviews. So we have a variety of students who take it generally and then we have a variety of students in our majors, but it's a little more specific with their career
1: paths as well. Very cool. And, and it's part of the you know, aspect is I'm reading, reading your words and such. And it's like, uh, um, Oh boy, does this speak loudly to education? Cause this is uh, um, whether it's the teacher in the classroom talking with the, the students or whether it's the, the administrator and the teachers talking to one another or whether it's teachers talking with teachers or teachers talking with parents. And uh, there's any number of audiences there that uh, knowing about, knowing a little more about communication is going to help. So uh, so was there a special area of communication that you found yourself drawn to? I mean, if so, what was it?
0: Yeah, more of the interpersonal, uh, uh, the human relations part. Um, and in particular, different types of maybe relationship communication whether it's um, workplace relationships or friendships or family members or romantic relationships, all these dynamics is one of the things that I really find interesting. And you can see it with some of the themes that come out throughout the book is that there's consistency regardless of the type of context that there's consistent types of communication behaviors with males and consistent types of communication behaviors with females that often it's not necessarily that's two different categories or that are absolute distinct between each other. But I think of it as more on a continuum and on different ends of the continuum within the same category itself. So maybe more or less better
1: or not as good with different types of communication itself. Gotcha. And, and I, and I got to ask this question, although you've kind of sort of answered it already, cause I've heard it a couple of different ways in what you've said, but, uh, What was that original or inspiration for this book that made you say, not only do I have to write this, but I'm going to write it. And you finished writing it and you produced it and you use it. People use it now. So what was that inspiration? And that's a good question um, because it was such a lengthy process
0: itself that going into it, I thought it'd be a lot of work and turned out to be so much more work than I actually thought about it It would be. Um, It took me about a year and a half uh, at least two hours every day working on just the rough draft itself with over 700 different sources. And what brought me to this was I taught a junior communication course for the last seven or eight years at the university level. And within communication uh, discipline itself, there have identified some communication differences between males and females, but they've always attributed to social learning types of attributes such as growing up in a family, uh, you're treated, uh, you treat a boy differently from a girl or society treats boys and girls differently, or whatever else. So one of the things that I always uh, grappled with was how come there's consistent themes and communication differences between males and females when people grow up in different families, different societies, and there's consistency with different generations as well. Why is there so much consistency when all these other variables keeps changing? So what's the one consistency? One is biological factors such as XX chromosome for female, XY chromosome for males, and how that influences um, our biology. And you can, and my perspective is you cannot separate biology from communication and psychology itself. They're both in They both influence each other and they're both integrated together as well. So as I taught that course, I started to bring in and investigate and look at other research outside of communication that help explain some of these differences in a different light, such as psychiatry, psychology, neuroscience, biology and other related fields. And through the advancement of technology, such as brain scans, fMRI brain scans you can see the actual brain activation differences between males and females during communication you can see actual brain structural differences between males and females and in particular in areas related to communication science has advanced far enough um, today that you can analyze the human brain and with over 90 percent accuracy predict if it's a male or female just by looking at the brain structure and then the consistency with uh, sex hormones uh, research has found the way that in, that influences communication as well. So with all this research, I came across that supports biology, influencing communication. In my personal perspective, this is at least 60% biology influences communication and maybe 40 or 30% it's society. There wasn't a book that I found that I could use for my course. So then I thought, well, I might as well write my own book since I can't find one. If there was one believe, believe me I would have used it and not written this book because it was so much work
1: <laughs> that's awesome that's, and, and it's cool that it's like I'm gonna get this done because I need it for my course so that's good yes that's good inspiration right there yeah um and so you've just talked about this I mean and I and I've and I couldn't help but uh, I want to make sure that I I get us to just kind of go back to it because you, you you mentioned it here a little bit, but uh, one of the things I've I've seen that you've said, you know, seen that you say, I've I've heard you say or uh-huh. <laughs> know that you say, there we go, how about that word, um, okay. you know, that there's overwhelming scientific research evidence proves with absolute 100% certainty that biological sex influences gender communication differences. And, you know, you just kind of talked about that just a second ago when you said that you can look at a brain scan and pretty much predict if that's a male or a female without even seeing who the person was. What, yeah. Why are those patterns there? I mean, what have you discovered about, I mean, can we talk about that 100% certainty? Cause that's cool. That's that, that definitely tells you that there's a um, there's more of a pattern there. There's more than somebody is speculating about, uh, well, it might be this or it might be that. I mean, you're pretty much saying that we have our, the way we communicate. Our- so there's two,
0: two, just general things on that. And then I'll get into more specifics is one, I have over 700 different uh, research articles that are peer review, go through extensive research process at the top universities around the country, such as UCLA, you know, they're like number two in the world of their medical school, things like that. So there's credible research out there that I go through study after study after study by it in an understandable way for the readers themselves. So to try and um, uh, devalue or try to um, to say that's not credible, all these different studies is very difficult to do. But then, secondly, predictability, and that's where I really find the support for and make that claim that there's a hundred percent certainty that biology, to some degree, influences gender communication differences because of that predictability. So everyone at conception pretty much starts off on the same track, what we generally think of as female. And then after about four months after conception, that's when the sex hormones start to kick in and start to differentiate male from female with the female with the XX chromosome um, increasing their estrogen levels. And then the male with the XY chromosome starts to increase uh, the androgens, what we think of as testosterone levels. And what these sex hormone different uh, differences do actually create Brain structural differences in the brain between males and female, and all communication starts in the brain. So if you have that differences in the brain itself structurally, that's from sex hormones. Then it's not much of a leap to think, hey, there's something to structural brain structural differences as to why uh, males and females communicate differently. So here's one thing that I found consistently in the research. And I've not found anything that contradicts it. And I haven't found anything that even comes close to nullifying it, uh, brain connection differences between males and females. Females over and over is found overwhelmingly have more connections to different areas of the brain across the hemispheres. Whereas with males, they tend to have more connections within each hemisphere. So what that leads to with communication is during conversations, it's much easier for her to elaborate on topics, which is what communication research has found overwhelmingly. They do more of that rapport talk um, where they could tie in memory, the current topic and emotion all at once at the same time. Whereas uh, with males, it's much more difficult to do emotion and memory in the topic at the same time. We could do one, or the other, or the other, but not necessarily as well tie them all together because we can't access the different areas of our brain at the same time. We don't have those connections as one thing. And then the fMRI brain scans has actually found that when females communicate, more of their overall brain is activated at the same time. So the emotion, the language, the memory is all activated at the same time. Whereas with males, language is activated on the left side, and emotion is activated on the right side. So when males often one of the chapters I have is he answers the questions asked she answers the questions unasked. And so if if, uh, the same question is asked and males give maybe a one sentence or two sentences of a response, they're answering that question because that's a part of the brain that they're accessing is that topic area. And it's much more difficult to tie in these other things with females having more connections to different areas and more overall brain activation at the same time, it's it's much more easier for her to tie in past experiences the topic at hand and emotion so she needs to understand if he just gives two or three word answers it doesn't mean that he's emotionally removed or doesn't care it's just that's what he's biologically capable of doing and and he needs to understand if she's given more elaborate answers and tie in these past things it doesn't mean that's unrelated or that she's going off track It makes sense to her because all ties in together and then just uh, one more uh, detail about it is she has a much larger and active hippocampus. And that's a uh, response. That's an area of the brain responsible for language, emotion, and memory. So it's much easier for her to tie all those things in together. Whereas with him, you know, ask us to do one thing, but not all three at once.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And, it, and I was telling you before we, we got on here, I've been married now for 35 years and, uh, and, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, opportunities to say, uh, um, oh, you just don't listen from either side. All right. And you're not paying attention to me or whatever, or why do you not remember this and that? And, and so there's been a lot of opportunities for saying, you know, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. What What are you telling me? Or something like that. Cause I think that's kind of how we made it to 35 years and hopefully we'll continue. Um, can I give one uh, quick example? Sure. Go right ahead. I think everyone can relate to. So
0: uh, a few weeks ago, it was quite popular and most people were following it. Uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. So the trial that was going on, and I have a chapter, and it pretty much played according to the chapter, what we saw with the testimony and what's coming out in court. And the chapter is she demands and he withdraws. And that is a popular uh, conflict dynamic in relationships where the female keeps demanding more from the relationship and the male starts demand or uh, withdrawing even more from the relationship. And what happens in that dynamic is that she feels that he is not emotionally invested in the relationship because he doesn't emotionally express it, because males tend to be overall inferior language-wise. Testosterone hinders language ability. Estrogen helps it. And it's much more difficult for males to process uh, relational types of, uh, information. So she is demanded from him to express more verbally, uh, emotional wise and he feels that he is not being appreciated from what he does. That is how he expresses or communicates, uh, his value in the relationship by doing stuff. She does it by communicating emotionally. So she, uh, Amber Heard even said that in, in one of the tapes that they played out. Every time we have a conflict, Johnny, you just leave. And that's what happened in that one episode where we found out what happened and blew up with her birthday party. He walks in, he didn't like something that was going on, and he just walks right out and spends a night at a friend's house. And that escalated and made things even worse. So two things that could uh, in Improve the situation was is research has found that if you touch prior to a conflict, such as hold hands, that increases the oxytocin levels between both people. And what oxytocin is, it's that bonding chemical, and it takes in more sensory information. So not only do you bond better with the other person, but you empathize with them better because you take in more sensory information with the other person. And then secondly, what they found is, and this is a relationship type of barometer that I think um, mimic, mimic behaviors that the more that you mimic your partner's behaviors, um, the better that you empathize and understand the other person. Two reasons, one is it increases the oxytocin levels. So again, that bonding chemical, um, it takes some more sensory information, but then also, which just makes sense if you just uh, draw the line to it, that when you mimic someone else's behaviors, what's that do? that activates similar areas of the brain from you and the other person. When you activate similar areas of the brain, you empathize with the other person better and you actually experience similar types of emotions of the other person. So you get a deeper
1: understanding of them. This is so awesome. And this is what I thought was so powerful. And you said earlier that, you know, you like it when um, people make connections between it, because, you know, when you, when you talk about, first of all, it's nice to know that there is a way to maybe help you deal with this situation. If you're confronting each other and one of them being, you know, let's touch, let's hold hands or something like this. And it uh-huh. <laughs> might be a good idea to do that because I see this coming and uh, um, you know, that type of thing. And you know, it's uh but it's, it's one of those things where if you can't <laughs> because it's a colleague or because uh-huh. it's uh um, you know, it, you know, whatever the situation is, like a parent or something like this, like, like in, in the world of education, you know, one thing that that'll happen a lot of times is you're getting ready to have a meeting where you're on to- total opposite ends of the spectrum and uh-huh. you're trying to figure out to get to a level of understanding. And uh-huh. can we at least agree that we want your child to be successful? That might be a good, and it's getting to that level of agreement that uh, um, is what you're hoping for, but a lot of times doesn't happen. <laughs> and um, because, the administrator sticks to their ground and the parent sticks to their ground or the teacher sticks to their ground. And it's, and it's like, uh, yeah, none, nobody shall um, communicate here. That's for sure. And, and, and I would say
0: two things on that. Okay. Uh, ju- just one briefly is we talked about touch increases oxytocin level. So maybe a handshake at the beginning, uh, that could be a way to increase the oxytocin level and that relationship bond and just to start. And then, um, there's two different approaches. Um, I talked about mimic behaviors, that that also increases oxytocin levels and activates similar areas of the brain. So you empathize and understand the other person much better. What nonverbal uh, research has found, and I put this in the book, I think in this book as well is that maybe you start off and you mimic the other person's nonverbal behaviors, what they're doing. And then after a while you stop, and then you start to do your own nonverbal behaviors and see if they start to follow what your uh, nonverbal behaviors are. And then hopefully there's some sort of mimicry and a synchrony of your nonverbal behaviors together. And if that happens, then that makes a much more positive type of relationship. That if you observe and just watch any type of relationship a working relationship, sit in uh, at a table at a meeting and you observe people's nonverbal behaviors or a romantic relationship outside the workplace and you observe their nonverbal behaviors, how much do they match each other's is going to indicate the strength and the positivity of that relationship between each other. So you could, and then just lastly, is um, the nonverbal behaviors that we exhibit, we take on those emotions. We often think of nonverbal behaviors as a reaction to what it is that we feel emotionally, but they can actually create. The emotion itself there was a study done they had two different groups and they had group a put a, a pin or a pencil in their mouth and group b uh, do nothing and then they uh, uh, did the survey who had a more positive emotional experience felt happier more joyful uh, group a did why is that? Because they had a pen or a pencil in the mouth, and what's that do? That helps you create an actual smile itself, and that nonverbal behavior creates the emotion of positivity. So if you can maybe emulate or exhibit positive nonverbal behaviors and have other people copy those, that could lead to a more positive type of uh, uh, relationship.
1: That's ah, cool. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, I wish you'd been around when I first started uh, teaching and uh, working as an administrator because I could have used some of that advice. Man, that was <laughs> good no, stuff. Good stuff. I, you know, and by the way, I, the Johnny Depp and Amanda Hurt stuff is just a. That's that's cool that it really walks down the path of what your research mm-hmm. has shown, and because it's, I mean, if you listen to it, you really kind of shake your head and go, are, how these two come together, (laughs) Rand? But,
0: uh, and then just one more detail on that is
1: what's consistently been found is that females,
0: they're more prone or vulnerable to depression and anxiety disorders and males are more likely to um, have substance abuse problems. And that's what we saw in there. One of the things uh, I talked about that, my uh, bachelor's is in psychology. And so one of the things that we briefly touched on that in my bachelor's, and then I actually researched it in my book is serotonin. So serotonin, how uh, you regulate uh, moods and emotions. And this is one of the things that jumped out to me is for over 40 years it has been scientifically identified or recognized that the serotonin system is sexually dimorphic between males and females. So testosterone is often used to treat depression in both males and females because it helps to increase that serotonin level that helps to uh, balance the emotions and the mood and and, uh, helps to battle that uh, depression itself. And depression has actually been linked onto uh, specific parts of the X chromosome. So females have two X chromosomes and males have one who's more prone to it. And then lastly, uh, depression and anxiety have been found much stronger at major hormonal shifts with females than what it does with males. So all these different factors together help to uh, explain um, why females more prone to depression and anxiety and then males with having you know, uh, testosterone levels are higher that, help, that hinders language ability and estrogen helps uh, language ability. So therefore, with males being inferior compared to females with language ability, that's why they revert to substance abuse as opposed to trying to um, communicate about their emotions
1: uh, that they have. They just uh, hold it within and deal with it that way. Gotcha, that is fascinating. And especially I just on so many levels. And so I got to ask you because and if you don't want to go there, it's fine. but I, what what is your class, what are your classes? How do they react when you start talking about this stuff? Do you get kind of finger pointing or do you get oh or I mean what what do you get out of out of them?
0: Well, for the upper level, uh, this is upper level course I teach in junior communication, mostly junior and seniors, and it's been positive types of reactions. Uh, because they can relate to it and they do like um, how it makes sense in their own personal lives and their relationships. And they do do that finger pointing of I date this person and they do that, what you just described and then vice versa. And, but it does bring a better understanding from both males and females in the class of their relationships and other people. So that's the biggest thing that I like um, people to take away from my book is a better understanding of other people and that's one of the things that it brings you know we're not just um biologically equipped the same with the same abilities some are better in some areas and some are inferior in other areas and vice versa i think it's a great it's a great compliment compliment not you're doing great compliment but complimentary in terms of um helping each other's Areas that people may be um, superior or inferior,
1: superior on in one that the other person can help out with what they're inferior with. This is so awesome. I mean, and I can, you know, I, I just envision what the class would be like, especially when you get to some point, if there was a, somebody who used to be, they used to be a couple or a thing. <laughs> that's in <laughs> there. Well, I haven't had that yet, thank goodness. <laughs> uh-huh. no, that, would, that would be quite entertaining, I would think. So, uh, uh, but that's, that's so cool. Can you talk, so you've talked about the research and stuff. Can you talk about where communication research is being successful and where it's falling short? So successful wise, um, there was
0: a scholar and around the year 2000, his last name is McCroskey. And he's one of those people who, Was he passed away a few years ago, five years or or so ago. He was one of those people that you probably consider like a visionarian or one of those people who's always one or two steps ahead of seeing things and research trends and the way things are going and think this or the other. So back in the year 2000, he was one of the first people to actually um, bring to the forefront and bring attention to biology as an influence on communication. But what he did was he studied it with speech anxiety, Communication anxiety because our discipline first uh, started out, it was called speech communication. And then now we're called either communication, communication studies. But the speech communication, that's what we primarily dealt with was given public presentations. So he tried to identify and pinpoint the biological factors that influence speech anxiety that people have. And he basically made the argument that um, people are going to have different levels of speech anxiety because of the way that the born biologically and you can only change that to some degree he took the position 60 to 80 percent of speech anxiety is based upon biology so 40 to 20 percent is what we could do um through social learning or classes or whatever else to help reduce that speech anxiety itself so i brought to the forefront a better understanding of the role of biology and then later on um there's been some research that has trickled out with uh, research articles that looked at some relationship um aspects and biological factors such as some of the things i just described with oxytocin the box, uh, the bonding chemical um a little bit of testosterone and um a little bit of serotonin but not nearly as much as what needs to be out there and i think part of the problem is um, I don't know if you want me to name names or not, but I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, in linguistics in 1990 or so, uh, Deborah Tannen came out with a book and she identified communication differences between males and females. Uh, I forget the name of the book off the top of my head, but cited in my book. And she basically attributed whatever differences there are. It's a hundred percent to society and the way that uh, we're brought up in schools or families or friendships or whatever else, and pretty much 0% to biology itself. So there's still a stigma out there with research in biology when it comes to biological sex and gender communication. And there's not nearly as much research out there as what there needs to be even today.
1: That's interesting because that's, uh, you know, because where I'm going with all this is uh because um, your your book's fascinating, the subject's fascinating and it's uh, if I had to do it all over again, this would be a fascinating direction to go, especially if I could keep the the memories of the different meetings that I had that didn't go so well or the, <laughs> the <laughs> right and uh, say, oh let's start from scratch here and you know what I want what do you think uh, you know like one of your messages will be or is to people about about communication I mean, why is it important to understand anything about communicating between men and women? So the same thing can be communicated
0: and understood differently from a male and from a female. So one of the things that has been found predominantly for years and even decades is that nonverbal communication, females are superior vastly than what males are both with exhibiting nonverbal behaviors and Um, with understanding other people's nonverbal behaviors as well. And there are biological explanations for it. So for example, as I talked about previously, that females have a more integrated brain, they have more connections across both hemispheres. So what that does, it allows her to engage in the conversation while at the same time, uh, evaluate and understand the nonverbal behaviors displayed by the other person while she partakes in the conversation also what has been found more recently is that females have much higher levels of oxytocin during conversations her oxytocin levels increase during conversations and what that, what that is again is a bonding chemical so she takes in more perceptual information from having the higher levels of oxytocin and feels a more connection to the other person and then a third factor is that females have more and are more active mirror neurons in the brain. So what those are, are those uh, neurons in the brain, the mirror neurons that are activated when you engage in a conversation with another person. So you see someone else exhibit a nonverbal behavior, your your, uh, mirror neurons activate to prepare your body to exhibit those same nonverbal behaviors that you see someone else exhibit That's what those mirror neurons do. They prepare your body to exhibit those same behaviors. So what that does is it increases your empathy level where you take on the emotions of the other person and actually experience similar types of emotions because you're doing the same types of behaviors or at least preparing your body to do the same types of behaviors as the other person. So therefore the bottom line is Females are going to have a much deeper understanding of a conversation because they understand the subtleties much more so than what males do and uh, males are going to have uh, uh, less or understand the subtleties much uh, less and they're going to have a more uh, just a general overall understanding of the conversation itself. So the males are going to have a more literal understanding of what's being said and females are going to have a more deeper understanding of what's being said, the emotions communicated, the nonverbal behaviors exhibited, and then her emotions that she felt at that time because her mirror neurons were activated to prepare her body to exhibit the same thing. So she's going to understand the nonverbals much better than what the male would. So the male's going to have a more literal understanding. So um, you can see how that leads to miscommunication of this is what was said, but I didn't mean it. Um, why didn't you understand these five other different things that came along with it? And then um, this is what was said. And this is what I understood. I didn't see these five other things that came with it.
1: And this is why this is so important. I mean, this is just, I mean, cause we, we interact with each other every day, and you know, de- and depending on who you, you know, what you're doing for your job or what you're doing, and you know, everything from the classes that you're doing to the, um, you know, whatever you might be working on, and uh, uh, but you're interacting with others, and to to know this information, if you can remember it, <laughs> and, yeah. to, and activate that part of your brain to say, come on, engage this stuff, so I don't fall into this trap or don't do something yeah. dumb or don't say something dumb. You know, and it's funny because. You, <laughs> So you have to forgive me because I think in terms of sometimes um, pop culture too much, but like um, there's a song by a country singer by the name of Justin Moore, and it says I think it's titled "You Look Like I Need a Drink." And right <laughs> now, and you know and he's talking about she's called him to to meet, and then when he sees her, he's like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna like what you got to say, am I?" <laughs> and and I think it just fits so well with what you're talking about.
0: So well, there you go, the demand withdrawal.
1: Right, she's going to man, and he wants to withdraw and have a drink. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, what a cool thing here. I mean, you, 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 your topics all around me. I didn't even realize it, man. It's it's good stuff. It, you know, it, it's it it's just something. Uh, you know, I th- I think about it in different interactions that I've had to have, or where you're working with somebody, or you you just really are not getting on the planet that they're on. I mean, mm-hmm. and primarily, it's it you know you just it's. I mean, is there a solution to this, or is it just that you got to work at it?
0: I guess the biggest solution is to have better understanding. just you know go throughout the book and try to understand how you see it, how someone else sees something, just like I uh, previously talked about, same conversation. female's going to have a deeper understanding of all the subtleties. The male's going to have a literal understanding. Same thing with the verbal conversation. He's going to have maybe a three or four word response. Doesn't mean he has a care or he's emotional, emotionally uh, removed. It's just, he's not biologically as equipped, whereas she's going to bring in all these other things. And doesn't mean that uh, she is uh, being unreasonable or Or that she's uh, really uh, displeased with the other person. It just makes sense to her bringing all these things in. And what has also been found is that females, uh, they have more uh, areas of the brain that are related to emotion that's activated during conversations, especially when they see someone else's face, even subliminal faces. So they're gonna be more emotionally invested in conversations, relationships, things like that because they have more uh, activations in those areas of the brain uh, during those uh, uh, encounters. One of the things that you talked about, if I'm just going this briefly, um, you talked about uh, educators and K twelve types of things. It's been found in research rather consistently that um, starting at early age, females are, are superior with language abilities, and that males, boys, tend to have more language problems. And it has been found, and you could trace this from prior to birth to after birth, to even, you know, later years, senior years, whatever else, that testosterone levels, higher levels of testosterone levels, hinder language abilities, and the estrogen helps language abilities, reading abilities, uh, conversation abilities, all those types of things. So the social abilities is in the uh, benefit of females. Even prior to birth, you can predict People's language abilities based upon their sex hormones. They did research on that. Uh, um, umbilical cord uh, sex hormone levels of the baby uh, prior to birth. What the baby, you know, later on, uh, two or three, four or five years old, whatever it is, what their language abilities are based upon higher levels of testosterone hinders language ability, higher levels of estrogen uh, helps language ability. And they even found that girls, one in 10,000, they're born with the acronym CAH, higher levels of androgen, which is what we think of as testosterone, have lower levels of language abilities, move in the direction of what boys do, because they have that higher levels of testosterone. But then in the uh, other end of it, that they have found that uh, higher levels of of testosterone helps spatial ability, and um, uh, estrogen hinders spatial ability. So having higher levels of testosterone helps spatial ability, again, prior to birth throughout life for males and having higher levels of estrogen and lower levels of testosterone hinders spatial ability for females throughout life. So males have been consistently found to be better with cardinal directions, North, south, east, and west, and what uh, females have consistently throughout ages, and then females do just about as good as what males do with landmark directions, with uh, you know specific buildings or uh, other types of trees or whatever else. So, bringing all this together, when it is the uh, biggest increase of sex hormones and the biggest differentiation with sex hormones between males and females, usually that pre uh, preteen years and teenage years. And what's that? Those are the years that uh, people start to uh, think about what career choices do they want to pursue. So if you have higher levels of testosterone, it keeps increases during those years and your language or social ability um, is hindered because of it, are you going to go into these social types of uh, uh, fields such as maybe a foreign language or teaching English or uh, other types of, or maybe even psychology? No, you're going to go into those uh, fields that help the spatial ability with testosterone, such as maybe uh, more of the um, science, the physics, the math, things like that. And they found and traced it that those junior high years is when that gap starts to differentiate between males and females males and you can't blame it all on society that's when the sex hormones start to differentiate as well and then that's when uh the preteens and teenagers start to uh, make career choices and where females have a higher levels of estrogen they have better social abilities and they tend to go into those social um heavy emphasis types of careers as psychology and uh uh, maybe uh, foreign language
1: um k-12 teaching things like that this is so cool and powerful. I, I could see so many uses for this, and it, it makes me th- want to ask you this. So if somebody were sitting here going, well, yeah, so so why do I want this? Why do I need to know this information? What would you tell them? What's that one thing? That if you're to sum up everything about it, everything you've been talking about, everything that's in your book, everything that's in your courses, there's a main reason why we need to know this. What's that?
0: Understand it. So not only understanding ourselves, which this book does. So why do you do particular behaviors over and over things, but understand that other people, their behaviors, over and over, but also understanding choices. So, just like I said, um, you know, we hear about that there are uh, more males in certain types of careers, there are more females in other certain types of careers, and this aligned with these biological explanations that I just went over with brain structural differences, language ability, uh, spatial ability, um, social factors, other things like that.
1: So, so awesome, and I. Stephen, I can't thank you enough for talking, taking time to talk with us about this. We're getting, getting close to finishing up. And uh, yeah. before we close, could you let everyone know where they could connect and learn more? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way
0: is to uh, search my last name, Furlich, F-U-R-L-I-C-H, and my book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, Apple, and then just type in my last name and then it's in paperback, uh, e-book, Audible, things like that. What's been popular this summer, I guess because people travel in the car, on the plane, by the
1: pool, it's an Audible
0: book, actually.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And I will have uh, links to that uh, Amazon and and those different places in my show notes so that uh, people listening can uh, find you that way, too. So good stuff. And and, uh, I got two more questions for you, which really have nothing to do with anything we've been talking about, but they kind of do in some ways, especially the first one. Um, So how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit?
0: Well, one of the things that I uh, uh, briefly alluded to um, at the beginning, and this is just sort of a joke also, is um, it was good not knowing what I didn't know at the time. So I knew it was going to be a lot of work and it turned out to be so much more work than what i actually anticipated um so that was one thing but then secondly what i get the most gratification out of is things like this with the interview with you someone who appreciates it and someone who can um, actually personally identify with the things that we talk about in the personal and professional lives that's one of the things i find most gratifying is when people tell me that this is something they can relate to and helps benefit them so my master's advisor, I kind of got this from him, but then also from myself in my own career, that one measure of success that I think is um, what positivity does it lead in other people, their success personally and professionally. So not what you achieve, but what do other people achieve? And that, what, that's what really makes me feel uh, best about this book is when other people improve their life. Maybe I'll just throwing this out here as an example. Maybe the marriage could have been better for Johnny Depp and Amber Heard if they read this book beforehand and understood each other better and had better conflict communication. So
1: that's good stuff. I, you know, and just as a note, Anything would have helped them, (laughs) but I think your book, I think your book would have been so important for them to read to basically say, okay, before you continue this marriage, sit down and read this book and then let's talk because I I don't think there's communication, but it wasn't the type of communication that was going to help them solve their problem. That's for sure. Um, Good stuff. Last question I got for you, Stephen, Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you?
0: Yeah, so uh, my master's advisor, Dr. Lanron, And one of the biggest things I took away from him was everything outside the classroom that he did, such as mentoring, uh, teaching me about research, teaching me a little bit about teaching, um, teaching me a little bit about uh, life, uh, advice and goals and, uh, things that you just don't learn from a book and then him being invested in my success. So whether it's a letters of recommendation or, um, advice of, uh, jobs of how to do application, or where to look or what to look for, all those types of things. So, all those, I guess it comes down to personal things of uh, personal development. So, when you can pers- help personally develop someone, I think that's one of the biggest things that you could do in life.
1: That is so awesome. I love it. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for talking with me. Your book, Sex Talk How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages, is amazing and one that men and women should read. And hear the messages that you have in there. Wishing you the best in all that you do. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And thanks for your interest and enthusiasm. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators. Podcasts by educators. (laughs)